this was just an idea. No one saw it. It was really, really hard. It was very discouraging. Um, but that's where you just have to have conviction about whatever you want to do and whatever you want to bring into the world. If you believe it should exist, then uh, just keep at it. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Short Story Long. Um, if you haven't left us any feedback yet, please do that. Help me out. Go to the iTunes page. Go to the uh, uh, podcast app on your phone. Leave me some positive feedback. Let me know what you think of the show, what you'd like to hear different, and who you'd like to hear as a guest. Um, it helps me out a lot. It helps out the ratings on iTunes. helps out literally everything. So go over there. Leave me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Also, promo code SSL on youngandreckless.com gets you 40% off all regular priced items. I'm not doing ads on this show yet, but I'm going to go ahead and plug my own stuff. So that's what I'm asking you to do. Leave me some feedback and maybe go get yourself some clothes. Um, That's it for my intro this week. This week's guest is Phil Krim. He is the 33-year-old co-founder and CEO of Casper Mattresses. I'm guessing a lot of you out there probably have Casper Mattresses. If you don't, you should really look them up. And that is not an ad, that is an honest statement. Um, What they've been able to do with the mattress business is amazing and to come in and to make the quality of mattresses that they do for as as affordable as they are and it's all e-com and they ship it to you and not to mention i just did a charity ping pong tournament with them um last weekend and it was great so they're good friends great people great business great product great everything i am really excited about this podcast because i personally love Obviously, entrepreneurship. I love the idea of young people being CEOs of businesses. I really look up to people like Phil, and I love hearing these stories. The only um, thing is that Phil had to be in and out pretty quickly because he had a meeting to go to, but we got a lot of good information and a really good story packed into this 40-minute episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Short story long, Phil Krim. Focus on your product. Can you tell somebody that they suck? You gotta just go for This it. is exactly what I wanna do for a living. You can't even tell somebody that their breath stinks. You know what I mean? It could take your whole life and then you find your worth. The product is number one. If it's scared you, you should probably do it. Good content is good content. That is the coolest shit I have ever seen in my life. Alright, welcome to Short Story Long Today. We have an interesting guest, probably my favorite type of guest because I really like, you know, I'm really into entrepreneurship and young CEOs. And so as much as I like talking to all the different types of people I have on here, someone that I do not know that is a young entrepreneur is probably my ideal guest. Uh, Phil Krim, welcome to Short Story Long. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Of course, I appreciate you um, making the time in your busy LA trip to do this little chat with me. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Yes. So um, what I do here is I usually start from the beginning so that the listeners can kind of get an idea of your background, where you came from, that sort of thing. So where are you from? I am actually born and raised in Houston, Texas. Wow. So I grew up in Texas, went to school in Austin, lived there for five years as well. What, um, that seems like a cool place to be from. A lot, like a lot going on, a lot of culture, a lot of... Yeah, it's great. Uh, my family still lives there, so I'm back there a lot. Uh, still a lot of good friends there. It's uh, good people down there. Yeah. And do you have brothers and sisters? I have a little sister. Nice. Um, 
what what were you into as a kid? Sports, anything like that? Uh, I played my fair share of different sports, none too well uh, to really focus yep. on any one. Same um, here. <laughs> but uh, tennis was probably the one I spent the most time on. Got and it. then in high school, I also did debate a lot and traveled with that. Yep, that's awesome. Um, it's funny, I was always into debate. In my school, like we didn't have like a big debate sort of program, but in middle school, I had one debate class and I loved it. I think that's part of why I like doing these podcasts so much is like just the, the conversation of it. Um, what, so then after, after high school, you knew college was guaranteed next step. Yeah, I always, I always uh, thought college would be the next step and uh, was fortunate to get into a great program at the University of Texas, so I was really excited about that. Um, you know, great school, yeah. big school. Is that in Houston? It's in Austin. How far is that? It's about a three-hour drive. Uh, Austin's an incredible town, one of my favorite. Um, yeah, had a bunch Austin. of friends going there. Just a great place to spend five years during college. It's good, too, because I feel like you're just far enough away from your family that you feel like kind of free, but like if you need to go home, you can. Yeah, for sure. I mean, most kids uh, that were graduating kind of high schools in Houston, uh, a lot ended up at Texas. So uh, had a good mix of friends, but a good mix of new folks. And yeah, it's kind of a equidistant between Dallas and Houston. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Did you do well in school? Uh, I did pretty well in school. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you weren't like the all-star, but you did okay. Yeah, no, I think I did well. Yeah. Um, so when, what did you study at University of Texas? I actually started studying finance and I was originally in the business honors program at Texas. And then I ultimately switched and graduated with a degree in marketing and a minor in philosophy. Uh, and I switched to marketing because I thought it was actually more relevant to what I was working on. Uh, I actually started my first company when I was in school. So when I was a sophomore, literally out of my dorm room, uh, I taught myself HTML and would build some websites and I would look for manufacturers who would do the fulfillment piece so I could literally run it out of my dorm room. What was the business? I, it was called Group. It was a portfolio operator of e-commerce websites. Got so it. what that meant is I would look for anyone that would do business with me. They would handle the fulfillment and I would do the customer calls and the selling online. So um, I've been focused on e-commerce and online marketing since kind of the early 2000s, since about 02. And why did you, why'd you see a spot there? Like why'd you choose that business? I was literally just trying to avoid getting a summer job, yeah. and uh, you could build an HTML website for pretty much nothing, um, and I had pretty much nothing, so uh, it was a good way to get started, and if someone would do the fulfillment or the dropship uh, order placing, then you didn't need inventory costs, so it was literally, yeah. could you build a website and could you market it? And this was in the very early days of online marketing, uh, so it was still very much the Wild West, and, and a lot of things were working very well because uh, it was just so nascent and so developing. Yeah. Did you feel like um, then that you knew you were going to be an entrepreneur? Was that even not really? You were just kind of doing what you had to do to get by and try to create a business. It wasn't like, I guess what I'm asking is, did you grow up thinking or in high school, I'm going to go be a great entrepreneur, or did that just kind of happen? So I think at this point, it was still like just one foot in front of the other, and we'll see where this goes. Yeah. Um, I came from an op entrepreneurial family. My dad always did his own thing. And mm -hmm. so I definitely thought that was awesome and a, a great way to go. Um, but I probably went into college thinking that I would stick to kind of finance or, or do the more traditional route, yep. graduate, um, go do a job in what I started with. But um, the marketing side was super interesting um, and building something from scratch. And, and it was it took off. I mean, it, it started becoming a meaningful business very quickly. And that was always very exciting. So since then, I've always wanted to do my own thing and, and try to build my own 
uh, company, business, brands. Yeah. And so that's that's definitely uh, where I've been focused since then. Do you feel like college, did you learn a lot that you apply now or was it more just sort of the motivation or, I mean, how much, um, it's a big debate that a lot of people are, have and have all the time and it obviously depends on your career and your path and what you're working on, but like how much would you give credit to college for sort of giving you the education that you use now? Uh, I think I learned virtually nothing in college classes that would apply to my work. Yeah. Um, it's just so different. It's changed so much so quickly. Uh, I also, I didn't spend a lot of time going to college classes. Uh, so I didn't spend that much time studying because I was doing a lot of what kind of the curriculum was talking about just in real life. Yeah. Um, so I was much more focused on that. Yeah. Uh, the things I was doing during that time, just in trying to build a company from scratch with no money, uh, that stuff has been super educational and informational, yeah. uh, just informing everything that I've done since then. Um, but the college courses themselves, I mean, it, it was interesting only to see that there were some parallel topics, but I mean, this is early days of internet and now all we do is kind of think about yeah. digital and that's just totally different. It's just interesting to me. I feel like there's nothing like, obviously there's some careers where college is 100% necessary and I'm not an anti-college guy, but it just seems like the the education of trial and error and just trying shit is like almost always surpasses what you actually are taught out of a book you know especially like you said even now things are changing so fast and on uh, technology is changing so fast and it's like I don't, it's hard to even teach that i would imagine yeah for sure i i, I also am pro college i think it's it's a good thing to do you learn a lot good disciplines but i think it in reality doesn't apply directly to what you're doing, other than I think there are certain things that help you think about the world differently. That's why I like philosophy. Yeah. That's why I like debate. It just helps you think about the world in a different way. And I think that is helpful as you apply to other uh, challenges in life. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, there's nothing that, that makes up for experience. And that's why you know, building your own company, doing the entrepreneurial thing, it's always difficult. It's always a struggle and you just learn lessons every day, no matter if you're doing it for three months or 30 years. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I do think that's very valuable for sure. Yeah. I love too that you're able to find a way to start a business with zero money. Like I know that's everyone's excuse for why they haven't started their businesses. They can't get investors or they don't have, I don't have the money, you know, but like finding a hole to be able to start a business that didn't need investors is genius. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you're in college and also young and dumb, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. you see credit cards as a good source of, of startup capital and certainly couldn't do it later in life. Um, but at the time, you know, it was that or go get a regular summer job, which seemed terrible. terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> uh, so tried this route and, uh, you know, fortunately it worked out. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, you know, risky and looking back stupid. And if I had a kid, I'd probably tell him not to do that. Yeah, but, yeah. It's amazing how many good ideas start that way. Yeah, true. Um, so what, when you got to like your senior year, when you were graduating, did you still have your business or, or not? I did. Uh, so I actually, probably after my sophomore, maybe some point in my junior year, decided that I was going to just do light coursework and stay for five years yep. uh, and take between kind of nine and 12 hours. Yep. Um, so I knew I was going to do five years, which I was able to do, uh, graduate. And then once I graduated, I saw the company. I was still doing it full time. And my parents got involved with the business, so I ultimately moved the business down to Houston, uh, and I ran it for a few years down there before moving to New York and starting to work on other things. And were you making decent money from it at the time? 
I was for a little bit uh, in the beginning, definitely towards the end. No, it's a business where, and again, these are lessons learned uh, just the hard way and applied today, but it was a business where we didn't diversify how we acquired customers. Yep. And so it worked really well in the very early days of, of this venture and of the internet. And yep. it's something that got harder and harder over time. Um, so it, it, it did well in the beginning, but um, became tough. And that's when I started looking at other things to do. Got it. So then you went to New York. Yeah. And what did you do? What did you start on there? So um, the tail end of this, I saw what was working the best was mobile advertising. Yep. And so this was probably late 2000s. Um, and I focused on mobile advertising for local businesses. So basically kind of click to call programs where if you were in Houston, Texas looking for a tow truck, I could connect that search to a tow truck driver and charge them a lead. And it was win-win because it was a, a great new customer um, and then the customer got a great tow truck and, and so I had small businesses throughout the US uh, where we would sell them mobile leads. Yep. Did you need any infrastructure for that or were you doing it by yourself pretty much? I started by myself, uh, eventually needed a sales infrastructure yep. um, because it was just a, a big grind on kind of getting customers and keeping customers. Got it. And then so how long did you stay in New York? Uh, still in New York now. So oh, I've you been live there. in New York now? Yeah. I, I don't know why I thought now. you lived in San Francisco. No, live in New York now. Uh, love it. I will live there my whole life, I think. Got it. Um, and then eventually I took that company through an accelerator program in New York and, and a co-working space. And that's where I met my co-founders for Casper. Um, I learned the hard way that selling to small businesses was a big grind. There was a lot of churn. Uh, and it just was a business that I didn't enjoy. So I didn't want to spend uh, kind of, you know, years doing it. Yeah. And so when I met my co-founders for Casper, uh, really liked the guys, super smart guys. We talked about the idea for Casper, and we ultimately launched that. So we started with the idea kind of summer of 2013. And were they working on a completely different business? You guys they were working on different businesses. You became friends and started brainstorming. Exactly. Got yeah. it. And then so how did that – tell me how the – how did you come up with mattresses? So with my first company, uh, one of the biggest categories or the biggest category we had were mattresses. So we would drop ship foam mattresses, spring mattresses, air mattresses, everything – and so I learned the industry that way. Uh, when I met some of my co-founders, Neil, Luke, and Gabe, uh, started telling them about how I sold a bunch of mattresses online uh, and just how you know, almost corrupt the industry was, how the manufacturers were an oligopoly that worked really closely with the monopoly that's you know, mattress firm about how to uh, work together to have a very opaque industry. And that led to a conversation just about how it was cool what Warby Parker was doing. It was cool what Dollar Shave and, and Harry's were doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, could that business model work in the mattress industry? And it really all came together when we met our fifth co-founder, Jeff. Jeff actually wasn't in the co-working space, um, but we told Jeff, like, we have this idea. Do you know anything about building mattresses? And he's a ex-IDEO engineer, industrial designer, brilliant guy. Yeah. And he had actually worked in the category as well. Um, and then Neil also, fun fact, his dad is a sleep doctor. So between the oh, wow. three of the five of us, we had some real, you know, uh, specific experiences around the industry and we thought we could go try to build this thing. Yeah. So what's, what is step one when you have this idea, you have some like, okay, we have some people that know a little bit, a bit about sleep and about mattresses here. Do you raise money first or what do you do? What was your first sort of step to put it into action? 
So the way it played out for us was, uh, I think Neil brought it up to an investor that he got to know and just said, you know, what do you think about this idea? The investor's response was, I think that idea is much better than anything else you guys are working on. Yeah. Uh, so maybe you should go think about that. And then he actually connected us to the founder of Harry's or one of the founders of Harry's, uh, Jeff Rader. And so we sat down with Jeff. We said, here's our idea. What do you think about it? Jeff said, uh, I think it's a great idea. He's like, um, he was just very encouraging of, of the concept and he had done it with Warby Parker. He was doing it with Harry's. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of gave us the confidence, like, okay, maybe there's something here. Um, from there, we just started to think through what we needed to work on. So we started thinking about what the product should be like and what the brand should be like. And to do this, we also started to think about raising uh, some money to go yep. um, kick off those processes. And you had to go like obviously develop the mattress and figure out how to get the right stuff. Or did people, did you have someone with you that already knew a lot of that? So Jeff knew a lot about how to do it, but yep. we wanted something that was totally unique, totally original, that had real kind of advancements in feel and firm yep. and comfort. So we started with just a blank piece of paper and kind of the brief to Jeff was, let's just go build the world's most comfortable mattress. And he just started building and we just tested and built and his whole philosophy is on user-centric design. So we would have focus groups, we would have different samples. At one point we had an office that was just wall-to-wall -wall mattresses for people to come over and lay on them. Yep. And we just ultimately got to one that we thought was, was pretty remarkable. How did you figure out the jam it in a box uh, thing? Yeah, we actually, we didn't invent that. Um, I think we were the first to really kind of brand it and think about the unboxing experience as something that people could really enjoy. Yeah. But the technology to, to kind of fold and roll a bed into a box is, is nothing new. Really? Wow. So for the listeners, if you don't have a Casper mattress, one of the incredible things about it is they ship it to you in a box that's, I don't really know how, to, well, how big would you say like, it is? Like uh, the size of a mini fridge. Like the size of a mini fridge and there's an entire mattress in the thing. It's pretty incredible. And it just is a really like fun experience to like <laughs> dump the mattress out and watch it sort of unfold on your floor like one of those like little... Yeah, it's amazing. You almost like thing. hear it inhale its first breath of air as yeah. it comes to form. It's it's awesome. That's I still incredible. love it. I like, I, that's really cool. Um, did you face any early... Um, taunting or pressure or anything from the older mattress companies like I, is there any scene of like you guys getting bullied or like sending <laughs> mad emails or like i think one of the the first moments where it's like oh wow i didn't even know they knew we existed was um i think there was an earnings call i forgot which company it was um but there was an earnings call where one of the analysts asked them about us and you just hear dead air for like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, and we thought that was awesome and hilarious. And since then, they've just been very dismissive of us. They just think, flash in the pan, we're not here to stay. And they continue to be very dismissive of us. It's um, amazing to me how much that scenario is replaying itself in all these different industries. Yeah, Like definitely. all these old guys, I mean, obviously we deal with it at retail. Um, these guys deal with it with their subscription service. It's like... The, um, the the element of dismissal from the older dinosaurs is just crazy. You would think that they would be like, okay, well, the numbers are proving. We should probably look into this. Uh, totally. It's amazing to me. And I, I think, I don't know if that's like a mentality of startup versus like incumbents who have just been fat and happy for too long. But it's yeah. like, we're always paranoid of like, what's going to happen that we don't know about? What's going to happen that could you know, change our trajectory. And you definitely just don't see that sense of paranoia in way too many uh, very or little, excuse me, very 
large old companies yeah. and now you're seeing them pay the price because of that yeah um what was the marketing like sort of overview strategy as like the, here's how we're going to stand out here's we're going to here's here's where we're going to be different other than just the price and the because that had to be a hard what i love is let me, let me just say quickly personally i love businesses that uh I call it like Starbucksing, right? Where you come into an old something that exists and you now make people look at it totally differently. And you guys have done that. And I just wonder, like when you're sitting around coming up with a marketing strategy and here's how we're going to be different, what was that sort of like, here's what we are? So I think the framework that we had that was very different was we wanted our customers to love the experience and tell their friends about it. And that's how we were going to get kind of lifetime value from our customers. Yep. The industry always thought about it uh, that a customer has to walk them to the, into the door if they want a mattress, and they're going to try to get every dollar out of them they can because it's a one-and-done transaction. It's all about that transaction, and then after that, the customer's dead to them. Yep. And we took the exact opposite approach. We said if customers love their experience, if they love the product, and they tell their friends about it, well, then that's worth a ton more to us than just that one transaction. Mm -hmm. And I think just thinking about it, in those two different ways is what led us to do very different things. And that's why referral business is still our biggest source of, of new customers. It's the number one reason people at checkout say they buy from us. And it continues to just inform how we think about everything we do. Um, we never think about our customers one and done. We have that direct relationship with them. We you know, may want to sell you products down the road, but even if you don't buy from us ever again, hopefully you're telling your friends and family about yeah. that you discovered a new, better, smarter way to buy a mattress or pillows or sheets or whatever it may be. And you just don't hear the, the industry talk like that. Yeah, yeah. Any advice? I know a big thing for young kids wanting to start businesses, and there's a pretty big gap between what you guys are doing now and, and what most of you know my listeners and these younger kids want to do, but raising money is always a big question that I get, and it's how do you raise money and where do you raise money? I know you guys have raised a lot of money, but like I said, you've done it in a very official sort of way. Any advice on that process? So I think... Uh, one, I, th I think there's no right or wrong way to raise money or capitalize a company. Um, I think it more has to do with the kind of the company that you want to build. Uh, with Casper, the five co-founders, we said from the very beginning, we wanted to build a really big company and we're just going to take a really big swing at this yep. and see if we can make it happen. And so that led us down a path where we raised from big institutional investors and, uh, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong saying I don't want to take any outside money because I just want this to be a nice lifestyle business or I'm just going to take friends and family. So there's no right or wrong way. It just I would try to think a little bit down the road on what you want with the business. Like yeah. when you take institutional money, there will be pressure at some point to find an exit and to do something with the company um, versus friends and family or not raising money where you could just kind of do with the business what you want. Um, so if you think about just what you want to do, that should inform kind of where you go. And then from there, it's just hard. It's it's hard raising money. We were told no dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Yeah. Uh, you know, when when this was just an idea, no one saw it. It was really really hard. It was very discouraging. Um, but that's where you just have to have conviction about whatever you want to do and whatever you want to bring into the world. If you believe it should exist, then uh, just keep at it. Uh, there's so many stories out there where people were told no by ideas that are now multi multi billion dollar businesses. Yeah. Yeah. What about um. Any big challenges or anything that drives you nuts about being a young CEO? Um, do you have any, like I know for me, like right, I just turned 30 
And I was actually excited about turning 30 because I felt like nobody took me serious at anything less than 30. Because it's like when I would walk into a room and say, oh, I have this clothing company and blah, blah, blah. And say, oh, cool. How old are you? And you say, oh, 28. It's almost like they would look at you for like, well, where's the adult at? Right? Like, who's the yeah. person behind you? But I just think like to actually be the CEO of a company that's now massive, there's a lot and that has raised money and that has done all these things. You have a lot more responsibility than I have. Um, any... Anything that drives you nuts or any like sort of pet peeves or like anything like that or no? You know, I think I, I've just gotten used to it. I remember uh, with, with my first company, I was visiting a vendor in Boston and I think I was 24 at the time or mm -hmm. something like that. And uh, they took us to a Celtics game and I said, you know, oh, I'll go buy beers for us. No problem. So I go up to buy beers and I didn't know this, uh, but to buy beers there, you have to be 25. And so I have to come back and say, I couldn't get us beers because <laughs> I'm only 24 at the time. Yeah. So super embarrassing. And that was another one. I was like, I just feel like an idiot because I'm so young. And, and I think even today, today I'm 33. And, uh, you know, there's, there's still that time where when you're just around really experienced executives or entrepreneurs, you know, I'm just always in awe of, of how much they know, how much they've been there, done that, and they learn. And but that's part of the journey, and that's what I've realized. It's uh, it's embracing that you will be learning the entire time that you're building a company or doing anything throughout life, no matter how old you are. Yeah. Uh, and so if it's your first gig in your 20s, your first gig in your 30s or 40s, you're still on that learning curve. Um, and so what I've learned is just hopefully to surround yourself with other people who do have more experience and can really help inform yeah. the journey. And that's why kind of building a, a great leadership and management team with Casper was one of the very earliest priorities that we were really focused on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, um, you have any crazy routine things? Morning routines, wake, you know, there's the wake up and make your bed or wake up and <laughs> meditate for 10 minutes. And then, like, I just feel like um, with the amount that you probably have on your plate and probably how stressful things can get, do you do any of that or you're just a pretty, you, you deal with it well? Uh, I would say the new one, so one of my co-founders, Neil, is very uh, health conscious, and he's been pushing me to make health a priority, and uh, I finally listened to him, and so I've been trying to make time to work out in the morning. Yep. Uh, is it workout like running, or is it like a full I just, workout? As long as I know, if I just get to the gym and do anything, yeah, I, I yeah. consider it a win. <laughs> I'm the um, same way. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I've been just consciously trying not to blow that off, and it, it's hard because I always would traditionally deprioritize that for yeah. you know work or another meeting or just getting caught up on emails because it's an onslaught and uh neil just always came back with look is your health important to you yes then schedule it and don't let anything change it just like you would any other important meeting during your day and so i've been trying to live by that and that's definitely a different paradigm because i'm not one that ever worked out uh, or prioritized that. i never did ever but i will say and not that i'm some big person yet to be able to speak on being healthy because I'm the furthest thing from it but <laughs> I will say like setting aside the the now the hour and not working and doing a workout of some sort it's amazing how much it helps the entire rest of everything you're doing I as agree. opposed to you spend that hour doing the emails and the whole thing kind of feels a little sloppy as opposed to like I don't know it's just it's something new to me for all of you out there that work out and say yeah no shit everyone says I, I know I, that but I used to hate when people tell me that yes. but it's actually true so it's kind of annoying yeah but it is annoying I, we're getting old is what's yeah, happening that's true um do you have any most exciting moment of like the big breakthrough or the big you know I love the story about being on the uh on the earnings call and, and then mentioning you, that to me would be a really good feeling of like these guys uh, 
don't know what's coming. But any big moment of like, oh shit, this is real or this is bigger than we thought it would be or anything like that? I think the biggest moment was just the day we launched the business. So April 22nd, 2014, we kind of joked, we were just guessing, you know, how many would we sell that day? Like two, three beds. Like who's going to wake up, read an article about Casper or hear from a friend that Casper launched and then go buy a bed? And I think we ended up with like over 100 orders that day. And at first it was like really exciting. And then it was really terrifying. Like, what are we going to do with all these orders? We had no inventory. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we sold through all of like our first month of inventory that day. And uh, but that's when it was like, wow, this is real. People did hear our story. They're trusting us with a lot of money and their night of sleep, which is arguably even more valuable. Mm -hmm. And we can't let them down. And ever since then, it's just been how do we how do we make sure we're not letting customers down? How do we make sure we're really giving them everything they need and hope they're getting from us? And that's what continues to drive us. And I think we've always tried to have a culture where we do look to celebrate wins, whether it's you know another milestone on having another 100,000 customers or raising some money or whatever it is, we celebrate the win, but the next day we're back at work because we know that more and more customers are trusting us with their sleep every night and, and we just have a big responsibility to fulfill. And, this is going to be something where we're still very early in our journey to build what we want to build. You still feel early in the journey? Yeah, super early. And it's all e-commerce, right? Uh, almost all e-commerce. We do. We have a partnership with West Elm. So yeah. every West Elm location has a Casper mattress, so you can lay on the product there. Um, How but many of those are there? 70, about 70 oh, okay. in the U.S. And that's more like a showroom type strategy. Correct, yeah. It's just cool, man. I don't know. I just, the theory the th or the thought of like doing an all e-commerce mattress business just it seems on paper seems so crazy. But you know what I mean? Like <laughs> the whole boxing thing. And all, yeah, I love it. Um, and no, obviously no plans to expand any sort of retail. Nothing there, right? It's all e-com growth. No, we've done a bunch of pop-ups. We've done a pop-up uh, here in LA and, and on Abikini. Uh We just wrapped up one in New York for holiday. We really like those kind of concepts and we try different concepts with each one so yeah. i'd love to do more of that but we have nothing planned we actually we just did a kind of more of a temporary pop-up with south by in austin yeah. so we did uh kind of a pop-up hotel with the standard and that was awesome um so we, we we love experiential marketing we love getting our product out there so we'll keep doing more of that but no stores no stores yeah i just feel like more and more as it goes these spaces that were stores you know, I won't say a whole mall will necessarily be filled up with it, but I just feel like experiential marketing is the future of walk-in places for most businesses, not for everything. But I just, I yeah, don't know. I think I think experience is everything. I think customers will continue to go into stores to have discoverability around new products that they don't know about, and education around products that make a difference to them, whether yeah. it's fashion or wellness. Uh, whatever it may be. And if you can do that well and offer a great experience that touches on that, then you'll have a great business, whether it's online or offline. Um, I think where you don't offer something unique and differentiated, Amazon's going to continue to eat your lunch. Yeah, 100%. One of the things I was going to ask you is what's next for you, but it sounds like you're in this for a long time. Definitely. Yeah. So you're just focused on growing this thing. And I mean, any, I mean, just getting it as big as it can be, right? I think so. Yeah, I think we're only three years into building this. We talk about becoming one of the world's global brands that, that's really iconic and the first sleep brand, which doesn't really exist today. Yeah. Uh, and brands like that are built over decades, not years. And so we think we have a, a long way to go. Uh, I'm lucky that I love what I do. I love my co-founders. I love everyone that we've hired at Casper. So 
work is fun, uh, and I think we have a, a big mission ahead of us. And I think what's really exciting is that people are starting to realize that sleep is a, a big part of wellness. So just like you work out every night, prioritizing a good night of sleep uh, is something that can also change your life and make everything else you do better. Yeah. Agreed. Um, okay, the big question that everyone always asks, are entrepreneurs born or made? What's your opinion on that? Uh, I think I've seen both work out super well, yeah. um, but I think in either case, you just need a really strong will to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, so you could develop that will over time, uh, or you could just be born with it because your family does it and, and you see what that's like. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the unifying trait across all entrepreneurs is just a, a strong will, a lot of determination to create something in the world that doesn't exist today. Yeah. I think there's just something in people's brains. I don't, I'm kind of unclear on my answer too, to be honest, because I do think it can kind of happen over time. But I think there's something in some people's brains that told you to go start a business in college instead of getting a job and, and told you that you could do that and that was okay to sort of break those rules. And then some people I feel like just live in the like, you don't do that. You go get a job. That's how you make money. And I think also you maybe go get a job in college and it just sets you on a life path of always having jobs or you get comfortable having a job that you don't like. You never get that feeling of what it's like to start a business, have some success and know that that is what you want to do, you know? So, yeah, I think a lot of that is just a product of your environment, like your family or now, you know, where you live. You know, if you go to San Francisco, you seem like everyone's out there doing their own thing. A lot more of that's happening in L.A., a lot more of that's happening in New York. Um, I think families are opening up to that that being an entrepreneur, doing your own thing is a real career path. And yeah. uh, it's it's an exciting time to be in this area because I, I think it's changing a lot. I think the the kind of paradigm around what is traditional and works is, is changing. And I think people's mindsets are changing. And I think that's going to lead to more and more people doing their own thing, which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It feels like, I don't know whether maybe once again, I'm just getting old, but it feels sort of like the wild, wild west where like you just like anyone can do anything. Like if you like a, the new TV stars are now YouTube stars and the new reality stars are Instagram stars and the businesses are all e-com and you can start it out of your basement. It just feels like literally anything is possible. And you have I have no idea what the world is going to look like like five years from now. Yeah, I think that's what's so exciting. Uh, I think people are feeling empowered and if if you're feeling empowered and can go out and try to do something, uh, you know it may or may not work, but at least you're out there trying something on your own. Yeah. And I, I think that the fact that the world is rewarding that because some of that works out to be successful, or people just applaud that you're taking a swing at things, is great. And uh, I hope there's more and more of that. Yeah. Okay. Last thing, and I'll let you get going. Um, I ask everybody this. This is my token question at the end of the episode. If you could talk to your high school self. Whatever you were, however you were looking at the world or whatever you were into or maybe your concerns were or your whatever, if you could, you know, you, let's say you jumped in an elevator with that little version of yourself, um, what, is there any sort of golden advice from everything that you've learned this far um, that you would tell young you? Uh, I think, I mean, I, I, so I switched paths pretty soon after my high school self, but in high school I definitely thought you had to go out in the world get a degree, go get a traditional job, work somewhere, do your two years in that program, and then go from there. And that's what I was really focused on in high school. And it led me to where I am today. So, you know, no knocks on that. And I, I wouldn't want to change my course. But uh, I think it's just more realizing, like, the sooner you start going to, to do your own thing, 
the faster you'll start learning and the faster you'll start making mistakes that that pay off because you do learn from them um you know that i guess that's what comes to mind back then but uh also not to get like overly worried about the big picture or the long term yeah. uh you know you, you will learn you'll bounce back there'll be tough times but uh you know don't get overly focused on that and just put one foot in front of the other and, and take life one step at a time and uh you know it's led me down a great path and and uh you know oftentimes you don't hear that or you don't always think that because you don't know where the path is going but that's that's also the fun part of this yeah that's great where do people go to get a casper mattress casper.com there it is um any news any 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 plugs uh Nothing to plug right now other than we have amazing products across the entire sleep spectrum. So I know we talked a lot about the mattress, but uh, the pillows are amazing. Yeah. People love them. The sheets are incredible. Dog beds. Dog mattress is amazing. Um, so just check out Casper.com. Hopefully you see something you like. Uh, all the products work really well together, but they work really well independently. And you know, every day, tons of people are buying from us and, and realizing that a great night of sleep changes their entire life. So... Hopefully you take us up on that. There it is. Thank you, man. I appreciate you squeezing us in. Thank you. This was it, awesome. This is a great one. Thank you. All right. There it was. Another one down. Another good one in the books. I really like that one. I like entrepreneur stories. I need to keep hunting down these young entrepreneurs, these young CEOs. I know you guys like all the different types of episodes, and I've been seeing all different types of feedback and Sometimes really good listens on episodes I didn't think would do very good. And sometimes bad ones on ones that I thought would be great. But I just love this story of building a massive, massive business. Starting with zero money. Um, and running it. I don't know. I just, that's something that I really love. So thank you to Phil for coming in and doing that. Hope you guys like that story. Uh, leave me some feedback on iTunes or on the podcast app on your phone. Go to short, go to youngandreckless.com. Get 40% off with the promo code SSL and go to Casper.com and get yourself a mattress or a pillow or some sheets or maybe a nice little bed for your dog. Check them out. Thank you, guys. I'll be back next week. <laughs>